This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, the big one is finally here, or at least that's what some would call it. It's Wednesday, May 31st. I'm Adam Booker. I'm Alex Burleton. And I'm Andrew Detmer. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. This episode is sponsored by Beer Monster, the best place to find your favorite brews for refreshingly low prices. With a wide selection of ales, wines, ciders, and more, there's no better time to place your order and start the summer off right. Listeners to this show can snatch five pounds off their next order with the discount code CityPod05. That's CityPod05. UK only, terms and conditions apply. Drink responsibly. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. The time has finally come to switch our attention to those two cup finals that have been looming over us the last two weeks, kind of like a little little storm cloud in the distance. Um, we're, of course, going to look at the FA Cup final against Manchester United this upcoming weekend first. But before we do that, Alex, how's things? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's been uh, unusually warm in Manchester, um, hence the change of backdrop for me. I've had to escape my greenhouse like uh, office to the to the living room so I'm hunched over on the sofa now so it's, this is going to be a very uncomfortable half an hour for me but um I couldn't miss it I couldn't miss previewing the the two huge games coming up so um so yeah can't complain well I appreciate the sacrifice yeah it's it's we're we're starting to get some heat here we have crazy weather coming up here because we're going to have a 30 degree swing in about 2 days and then 2 or 3 days after that we'll have a 25 degree swing so some pretty crazy weather rolling in here. Uh, Andrew, how about you? Are you you guys hot yet? Oh, we, we have been. Uh, 
I waited to mow the lawn until like 7.30 last night because it was going to be way too hot. And we were under a uh, air quality warning because of the ozone. So just trying to do my part and not uh, kick up a bunch of dust and horrible debris in the air when uh, the air is already pretty, pretty bad. Well, I suppose when you just like live in a cornfield in the middle of America with no shade, that's kind of what happens, right? Okay, rude. Very rude. <laughs> you can talk about my childhood home like that, but that's not where I live now. <laughs> Actually, I, I did literally I, grow up in the middle of cornfields. I did, uh, I did drive through Indianapolis once. I didn't get off of the highway. I drove through it as quickly as I possibly could. Um, once, I, once I saw the border of Indiana, I put my foot put pedal to the metal as quickly as I, I mean, there's a could. reason why our most famous sporting event is just people driving as fast as they can. Yes. Unfortunately for them, it's not as fast as they can out of the state, but we'll get uh, into the football then, I guess. Uh, I want to start by looking at, at City's run to Wembley and looking back at City's run to Wembley, which of course began all the way back in January with a very impressive 4-0 thumping and, and that uh, of Chelsea. And that, that game was kind of in a weird point in the season in which uh, we we started to see the emergence of the back three or back five that we talked a bit about on the Premier League review yesterday, and things felt very stale in the league, and and we were getting these weird, exciting results in in the cup, and and obviously that was followed up by a round four win over the then Premier League leaders Arsenal, and then after a simple away win against Bristol City, the Blues kind of breezed past Burnley and and Sheffield United and two teams that were obviously um, up for automatic promotion from the championship. And it's funny, Alex, it feels like there's always been that idea that that City get easy cup draws. But two consecutive rounds against Premier League big six sides and then closing out the tournaments against, against the team, the teams who gained automatic promotion, it, it tells a bit of a different story, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think a lot of people will probably look at, I think you could probably say City got the, say, the most favourable draw in the semi-finals, because um, obviously they got Sheffield United instead of uh, Man United or Brighton. But from just looking at the fixtures, you don't really see uh, what sort of what City fans saw, which was that City were in a bad, pretty bad place in January. You know, games against Arsenal and Chelsea. You know, and obviously how Arsenal were playing at that time. I remember I was at that game where Nathan Ake scored that um, sort of. Almost strikers like striker like goal really wasn't it um, curling into the bottom corner and that game was City did well um, against Arsenal sort of man to man high press but it was by no means a sort of vintage City performance that was sort of right around the, the time just before things started to pick up but um, they weren't really playing too well at that point so I think that's a bit of nuance that probably gets missed if people look at City's fixtures um, they'll probably see oh well you know Chelsea were a shambles which they have been for most of the season but things hadn't quite got as bad as they are now at Chelsea at, at that point when City beat them 4-0 um so yeah i think it has been a fairly tough run you know could have been harder at points but um sometimes you have to look at the nuance and to get through Chelsea and Arsenal in a month of the season when City were at their worst um i thought, I thought was quite impressive especially the manner of the Chelsea win because i don't think anyone thought it was going to be it was going to be 4 0, but it was a great performance. Well, that's kind of the basis of all of this, isn't it, Andrew? That it's the context of when those cups those cup games were played and and the fact that things had gone so stale in the league and that four nil win against Chelsea came just a few days after beating them at Stanford Bridge. But that about sixty minutes of that game at Stanford Bridge was some of the worst football that City had played all season. 
And it feels like maybe certainly the FA Cup, not, not as much the League Cup, but it felt like the FA Cup was a bit um, of an oasis for City to escape from what was a very, very stale point in the league season. Yeah, it, it's interesting because if you look at Pep's history with City, our cup performances have oftentimes been far less swashbuckling than we are in the league because Pep is such a control freak and the concept of one screw up and you're out of the rest of the you know knockout tournament I think terrifies him. Rightfully so. I mean, it's a it's a almost a totally different sport because the consequences are so different compared to, you know, I, anyone who says that Pep Guardiola isn't the greatest manager uh, in league history, and I don't mean like a Premier League or La Liga. I mean in terms of league play, that style of play, you're kidding yourself because he dominates it in a way that no one else does. But knockout brings so many different factors that I do think that we've seen him struggle at times. But the good news this year compared to, I think, previous years is, one, we did get matches that I think suited where we were at in the season well. Like, yes, we played top six sides on the way to – or big six sides on the way to get here. But the good news is we actually played them at a time when they – that match wasn't such a distraction from the league season. Like, having Burnley, having Bristol City, having Sheffield United fall when they did – is a lot better than drawing, you know, if we'd had Burnley in the, you know, third round proper of the FA Cup. Like, yeah, it's easy to, they're a quote-unquote easy team regardless to draw compared to some other options, but it's better for your season if you draw those teams later than if you draw them early, but then, you know, get Arsenal, Chelsea, United, all three in a row. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, as we've kind of talked about before, the FA Cup hasn't actually been a very happy hunting ground for for Pep City. You know, it's only been obviously the one win um, in in his time, and obviously a couple semifinal appearances that haven't gone very well. But it really did feel like almost not, we won't say the priority, but it felt like the competition in which Pep Guardiola take this with a pinch of salt, let his hair down a bit, Alex, because. Um, we were seeing the rotation and, and and we weren't seeing the most talented sides. I mean, that that 4-0 against Chelsea, you had Cole Palmer starting that game, Julian Alvarez starting that game, Sergio Gomez and Laporte started that game, Phil Foden played in midfield. And it came at a time in which we've, we've mentioned this, that City weren't playing well in the league, but we're seeing this massive amount of rotation, especially at a time in which Pep didn't know what he was doing in the league either. I mean, that was at the time it, we're seeing these weird back threes and back fives and Cancelo and Walker playing on the same side and and all these really weird varieties of teams. And it felt like the FA Cup was this place where Pep could go back to what he knew best, which was overlapping fullbacks, wide wingers, you know, creative midfielders getting on the ball. Is there a sense that it was just a time in which Pep could kind of almost free his inhibitions and and play the way we were used to and play with more freedom and and almost be a reprieve from the league season. Um, I think yeah, maybe to a certain extent. I think I'd counter that with I I don't think I don't quite agree with that Arsenal game because I think in that Arsenal game that was quite similar to the oh, I'm getting all confused now. Yeah, that was before. We played at the Emirates in the league, wasn't it? 
um, yeah, so that was the sort of start of the working out how to play against Arsenal. And obviously it involved quite a lot of long balls up to, to Haaland to beat Arsenal's man-to-man. So I don't think that was necessarily the typical, you know, back-to-basics kind of thing. But I do agree with Chelsea. Like that performance was sort of people are thinking, oh, maybe City, are, you know, who said anything about World Cup fatigue and that kind of thing? That's what we're thinking because that was quite early in January, wasn't it? And they just seemed to be fine and it was the typical ultra-attacking City that we all know dominating the game. Um, so, and I also think maybe by the time it got to the Arsenal game at the end of January, they'd had the bad run of results in January and the sad faces and all that kind of thing and the whole Cancelo thing blowing up. And I think, I'm not saying that City, like they always treat the FA Cup seriously, especially the early rounds. Like, you know, we never see City really going out in the early rounds. It tends to be the, the semi-final later in the season when they're trying to juggle all different competitions. But it was almost like they kind of had to had to really take this game seriously to try and play back into form, I think. And I think I wonder if that kind of, not that the players ever don't sort of want to play as well as possible or or go far in every competition, but they, they obviously knew they weren't playing well in the league. And this that game against Arsenal and then the um, subsequent rounds were just sort of another chance to try and build that rhythm that Guardiola is, is always saying how it's so important. And, you know, Perhaps some players saw that saw those games opportunities to push themselves into the team at a time when the team wasn't playing particularly well in general. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was obviously like I wouldn't say it was a distraction, but certainly at that time no one really thought City were, or a lot of people didn't think City were going to to real Arsenal in. Such was Arsenal's lead and the way that City were playing at that moment. Um, so I think it was important that they used the FA Cup to to gain a bit of momentum, get some decent performances, figure out a way how to, to beat Arsenal. Because, you know, it, as I said, it started with that FA Cup game. Then they went to the Emirates in the league and played a bit better, still surrendered a lot of the ball, but relied on long balls a lot, but it worked even better. And then by the time Arsenal came to the Etihad in April, they, they absolutely destroyed them, didn't they? So I think the FA Cup has played an important role. Like, you know, they could go and lose. I mean, God forbid, but they could go and lose on Saturday. But, it has played an important role anyway in the season, I think, in terms of regaining momentum and also the Arsenal factor. It was an extra game to, for Guardiola and the players to figure out and fine-tune how best to to play against this version of Arsenal. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that was probably the first, if not the first game, that, that City played that kind of 3-2-4-1 that we've now all, all come to know and love. Um and in that game, obviously, we had Rico Lewis stepping into midfield out of the back four and, um, you know, wide, wide wingers and Grealish and Mares. But that game was very, very stale, Andrew. And and just building off of what Alex said, is there a sense that maybe the role of the FA Cup and its influence on how City finished off the rest of the season might be downplayed a little bit as we kind of look back on the Premier League season that was? I don't know if downplayed is the right word, but I get what you mean. Because I think, and I feel like you and I had this conversation on a podcast, you know, sometime in January or early February, that Pep was still trying to figure out how to get this team to work because it's his third iteration of the of City team. And we all kind of said, well, this year may be a little bit transitional. And I think we were all okay with, okay, if things don't work out, like as long as we're competing, that's fine. It It makes sense that, learning how to play a new way it may take some time particularly then when you throw in the fact that we suddenly 
really don't have fullbacks uh, at the same time that all these matches start happening in the season. And I think what the benefit was, it gave us extra matches for Pep to figure out and experiment with different formations and different ways to, you know, put a player in. I mean, I can't remember. Did Rico's first start? It, was, it wasn't a cup match. It was a Premier League, right? Was it not Sevilla at home? That was his first goal, Maybe. at least. I'm not sure if he started a league game up to that point. I'm, I'm just looking to see when, what his first match for us was. But it, it feels like Pep was able to use, I mean, basically it took Pep every match that he had available to him to find a way to turn this team around. And yeah, it was great that we beat Arsenal, but like we did definitely didn't outplay them and they played a much weaker team than we did. And, but you know, that gave us some confidence. And then the next time we played Arsenal, we had kind of figured some things out and still I'd say that they were a little bit better, but we had figured out some more stuff. And then but by the time that they showed up at the Etihad, Pep had used all the matches, figured things out, and had this machine turned into the buzzsaw that it is now. So I think you're right that the FA Cup, in a way, just because it provided matches away from the league, and in fact against really good teams in the early rounds for Pep to figure out how to make you know, these guys all work together on the pitch. All right, that'll do for part one. We'll be back in a moment in part two to look ahead to Saturday. This episode of the City Report podcast is sponsored by Beer Monster, the best place to find your favorite brews for refreshingly low prices. Start the summer off right by ordering one of Beer Monster's draft tap machines so you, the listener, can pour the perfect pint from the comfort of your own home. Listeners to this show can snatch a further five pounds off their next order with the discount code CityPod05. That's CityPod05. UK only, T's and C's apply, drink responsibly. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City coverage. If you haven't listened yet, when you finish this episode, go back and listen to yesterday's episode. We did a full review of the Premier League season that was and what a season that it was. Uh, Alex, I want to start to look ahead to where Pep's mindset may be heading into Saturday because I think it's become pretty clear what his quote-unquote best 11 is in the final month or two of the season. We saw that 11 in both legs against Bayern and, and both legs against Real Madrid, um, plus probably Arsenal in, in the back half of the Premier League campaign, a game that we now know was was truly a title decider. With a week and a half or so of dead rubbers, lots of rotation, is there any indication that Pep goes with something different from that quote-unquote best 11, or do the likes of Foden... Laporte, Alvarez, and Mares have any sort of reason from the last week or so to knock on the manager's door? I'd be surprised if anyone's made a sort of a case that Guardiola's really gonna really think about like, oh, they've played really well in, you know, these last three Premier League games that were essentially dead rubbers. Um I think it'd be more a case of obviously there's those players that didn't travel to Brentford on Sunday who Guardiola said he thinks they'll be ready for the cup final, but it wasn't a definite. So I guess it depends on uh, how Diaz is, how Akanji is, how Grealish is. Um, and there was someone else and I've forgotten who it was, which isn't isn't great. Um, but yeah, it's... Hopefully they're all back because I think, you know, Diaz uh, Diaz and Grealish, I think, are definitely in the starting lineup if they're, if they're fully fit and raring to go. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, that was it. I'm not sure I forgot him. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. I think we will be largely the that 
the sort of established eleven we've seen in the last few months. Uh, I guess the biggest question mark really might be if Foden has sort of earned himself a place because he has been quite good. Um, I think in in these sort of uh, last few games where nothing's really been on the line and City have kind of understandably lacked their usual kind of fluidity, what with so many changes and okay, maybe mindset's not quite the same because there's nothing to play for. You're just trying to not get injured before two big cup finals. Um, He's been probably one of City's better performers. So whether he can, you know, persuade Pep that he deserves to start on the left wing or on the right, I don't know. It depends how much control um, Guardiola's going to want against United. I suspect... I suspect against United he'll want that control because they do have quite uh, a dangerous sort of transition threat. He did say in his press conference, I think it was last week before the Brentford game, that he's not like 100% you know, settled. It's not like he's got his two starting lineups for the FA Cup and the Champions League finals down, but he's got a decent idea. Um, and he did sort of suggest that they might be a little bit different or that the plan will be a bit different because they don't. the two opponents don't play in the same way. So if you were to sort of read between the lines, I personally think that the one against United will be more sort of control and maybe Inter will be a bit less, but, you know, we're still talking about a top team that can hurt you on the break. And I imagine Inter, like United, will probably let City have most of the ball. So, yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting for sure. But I wouldn't, I don't think, you know, anyone like Sergio Gomez or Cole Palmer or even Rico Lewis, as good as he's been, I don't think he will have, you know, made Pep think, oh, I'm going to have to shove him in in the, in the FA Cup final. I think we'll see a return to the to the sort of strongest team we've been seeing. Well, one of the most intriguing aspects, I, I think, is the fact that we saw two Manchester derbies in the league earlier in the season that were almost polar opposites from each other. We obviously had the 6-3 at the Etihad, which is a scoreline that very much flattered United on the day. I mean, that could have easily been 9-1, 9-0 if if it weren't for their their late goals and and some late subs from Pep that were forced, obviously, by the Kyle Walker injury. And then, obviously, you come back to, I think it was January or February, and you have that now infamous day at Old Trafford with the Rashford offside goal. And um, that was kind of in the midst of that period that we've now mentioned a billion times, that, that everything had just gone stale and... You had Cancelo had had recently kicked off, and Laporte wasn't playing, and 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 everything just didn't look right. And, and how much Andrew do those games play a role in the mentality of the team going into this this Saturday? Do they look back on those games and think, okay, it, on one side we have the recipe to beat this team. We've we've ripped them to shreds for ninety minutes, and uh, on one side, and on the other side, well, they actually they have threats that can get at us and. We've seen that when if we're not on top of our game, they'll pick their moments and they could absolutely beat us. Do those games play a role, or has this city team evolved just so much from not only September, October, whenever the first league game was, but particularly from January, February? I think it's a little bit of both because it the team has absolutely changed. I actually was reading a really interesting thread from John McKenzie at the Athletic about you know, how in the last Derby, we had a flat, kind of a flat back four and a buildup. And that's not something we've really seen City do in weeks now. Um, I do think there's an interesting question of with how well Kyle Walker has played. If Ake is fit, you know, does Pep still stick with 
a back four or do we go back to his three, two, two, three, you know, it's going to be interesting from that perspective. But even though we've changed, I imagine Pep Guardiola is going to show that first goal and that second goal that came so shortly after it to the team and be like, Hey, remember this? That can't happen again. Shouldn't have happened. We all know it shouldn't happen, but it did happen. But we need that to not happen again. And you need to go out there and show these guys why, okay, cool, they finished third, but they are miles behind you in terms of quality, in terms of ability, in terms of achievement this season. And in no realm should you be anything more than dominant over these guys. And I think he's going to have them out there ready to replicate the first derby far more than it be something that looks more akin to the second one, Um, which is why I actually think that I would, I'm confident at this point. I think Pep is going to play Phil at right wing against United, especially because with United's center back issues, having someone attacking and cutting in on the left side of their defense is the last thing they absolutely want, particularly with Holland occupying the central spaces anyways. Well, is there a sense, Alex, that that, that second derby and, and kind of the weeks after it, it's kind of the perfect bulletin board material if you're Pep, isn't it? You know, they they scrape through with the victory with a goal that is offside 99 out of 100 times. And in the weeks following that, you know, there's there's talk of United winning the treble and the power has shifted in Manchester and all this kind of what we now know to be absolute nonsense. Is that just kind of the perfect bulletin board material for Pep? Yeah, you know, it's um, we have seen Guardiola seemingly buy into this sort of siege mentality a bit more in recent times. Um, you know, we won't go into like all the reasons behind it, but, you know, it's obviously something they've used, I think, this season with the Premier League charges and how far behind Arsenal they were and, Guardiola's always, even even about individual players, you know, like um, last week he, he said when there was yet another question about how, how good Erling Haaland is and Pep brought up these uh, tweets, or, well, not even tweets, but he said, remember after the Community Shield when everyone said he, he wasn't going to score goals and it's, I mean, it's he's getting to the level where I think he is just looking through Twitter on his burner account looking for these things because I don't remember that many, you know, actual mainstream media pundits saying after one game that that Harlem was was done and Darwin Nunez was the better purchase and that kind of thing. It was mostly just, you know, football like troll pages on Twitter. But to be fair, I think Sky <laughs> put Nunez over Holland as when oh, they, okay. they they built a team of the season for for summer signings and they put Nunez in over Holland. Fair enough. That's um, about as mainstream media as it gets for Pep, I'd imagine. Yeah, but so if he's doing that openly in the media and referencing these little these little things, you can only really assume that he's kind of doing similar in the dressing room. And you know what? What better way to maybe fire? Not that I don't think I don't think the players will really need firing up. It's they, they're fully aware now that you know most of the team have been there for a few years. The guys that aren't, you know, academy graduates or haven't played in England for long, they'll have been told kind of the more how important it is because it's United, not just because you want to win the FA Cup or potentially a treble. Um, and you know, what better way to to fire them up if they need it than you know bringing up the injustice? I guess you know it's 
in my opinion, it was an, a poor decision to let the goal stand. Obviously, City made their feelings known about how they feel about it, and Guardiola did. So, you know, it would see it would be odd if he didn't sort of bring that up as a bit of a motivation. I think. Um, but yeah, they, I don't think they're really going to need it. But it's, I'd be surprised if um, that didn't sort of feed into the narrative. Well, it was Ollie McCool on this podcast earlier this week that said, if you can't get yourself motivated for an FA Cup final against Manchester United to to get your hands on two-thirds of the treble, then you're at the wrong club. And I think we will leave it there for today. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers. Happy to be here as always. Before we get out of here, please hit follow, hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. That is the best way for us to get this show out to blues just like you. Until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.